Welcome to the First Century Church Podcast. My name is Stephen Wilhoy, and I'm the lead pastor at First Century Church, and it is an honor to have you with us today. The goal of the podcast is simple. We want you to be encouraged, challenged, and inspired to go further in your faith than ever before. If you'd like more information about the church, you can visit our website, firstcenturykc.com. And if you happen to be in the Kansas City area anytime soon, we'd love to have you join us for one of our live gatherings to connect with you in person. Again, thanks for joining us today, and we hope that you enjoy today's message. We are in week four of a series that we've been in now called Dear Church. And we're going through the Bible, again, chronologically from beginning to end, and we are now in the the letters of Paul. And these letters for this series specifically are letters that he has written to various churches. Uh, Most of them he started, uh, and some of them he did not, but this one uh, he definitely did. Uh, We're going to be in the book of Ephesians today, and so if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn to Ephesians 3. If you have a Bible app on your phone or a Bible on your mobile device, you can go to Ephesians 3. And these are, again, letters. Paul wrote some personal letters that we'll get to, but in this series, it's just letters to churches. And this letter to Ephesians, I think, is very personal to him because it is one of, is probably the, the city, Ephesus, that he spent the most time in. About three years uh, of his ministry was spent in Ephesus, um, kind of building a foundation for this brand new thing called the church and Christianity, uh, raising up leaders, starting churches all over the area. And then he moved on after about three years to do other things. So then a few years later, probably five, seven years after he started this work, uh, he writes them a letter. And uh, Ephesians is very interesting. It's six chapters, and our, let's see, summer of 2016, we spent a whole summer working through Ephesians. So if you are interested in that, you can go way back in our archives and check that series out. Um, But Ephesians is six chapters. The first three are very much beliefs, uh, very much um, doctrine, you know, very much this is how Christianity should look. And then the last three chapters is here is how this practically looks in your life. So he talks about husbands and wives, how they should live out the gospel. Not just these are beliefs that you should ha- you know, have knowledge of, but here's how you flesh those out. He talks about you know, parents and children, how you can flesh the gospel out in those relationships, how different parts of the church. He talks about some spiritual warfare that's going to come as a part of these beliefs. That's very real. And right in the middle, right at the end of chapter 3, leading into how this fleshes out, he prays a prayer for the Ephesian church. And that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to study uh, Paul's prayer for the church, which is in turn my prayer for the church. So uh, we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. So I'm going to read it in its entirety, and then we were just going to dissect and break it apart for a bit this morning um, to just see what what Paul's encouragement is for the church. And I hope my, my goal, I have one goal today, and that it's that you as the church would be encouraged by what we're going to talk about today in Ephesians 3. So if I check that box, mission accomplished, I can go take a really good nap this afternoon. Um, anyway, so let's read, it, let's read this prayer from Paul, Ephesians chapter 3, starting at verse 14, and then we'll break it apart today. Paul writes, When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. 
May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you'll be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. This is Paul's prayer for the church, and it is my prayer for you, for the church. So let's work through this kind of verse by verse and just see what encouragement uh, we can glean from this prayer from Paul in Ephesians. Let's go back to the very top of this prayer, verses 14 and 15. Paul begins his prayer like this. He says, when I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and earth. So at these two verses, what we're going to do for a minute here is sort of go back the last two weeks and combine one idea from each message that I, I think we see here pretty clearly. The first one we talked about in Romans, that when we um, come to faith in Christ, we receive a new dad. And Paul is making sure that we understand that here in Ephesians 3. He says, I go to the Father in prayer. And so it's important that he sees this, that again, in Romans, we talked about we are adopted by God, we're chosen by God, we're pursued and wanted by God, and that's when he saves us from our sin, and then he wants to continue in that relationship. He's our Father. And he says that he is the, the creator of everything. That's what's so fascinating to me about this idea of adoption from God, is that he's the creator of the universe. Don't be offended by this, but did you know that God doesn't need you? God doesn't need anything or anyone. Before Genesis 1 started, Father, Son, Spirit are in perfect communion and love with one another. God needs nothing. Yet, He chose to create you and I. He chose to create us with this something inside of us apart from any other creature to have a relationship with Him. And then when our sin fractured that relationship with Him, He still loved us so much to pursue us and save us by giving His own Son in our place for our sin. That's huge. That's how God thinks of you. If you think God doesn't love you, you could not be more wrong. If you think that God will abandon you, you could not be more. We'll get to more of that in a minute, but you could not be more wrong. You can go to him in prayer. Paul's saying this. I'm going to my father. I'm going to my dad. He will hear me. He will listen, and he will answer. Then he, but he says the creator of everything. So this is another part of that. It's not just that God made everything, but he's in control of everything. So God is worth worshiping. God is worth being prayed to because he's always in control. He's never caught off guard by anything. He's never surprised like we are when things happen, like when your trailer breaks down in the middle of Tennessee. Like he knows everything that's happening in your life. He knows every detail. He's, and he's powerful enough to handle anything that you face. Any diagnosis that you face, any bad news that you face, any sudden thing that comes that you're like, whoa, God's like, he, he's in control. We don't always feel like he is, and sometimes we don't feel like we're even in control, maybe most of the time. We can know as the creator, he's also the sustainer. He's powerful. First Peter, I'm going to reference a lot of scripture today, so if you're taking notes, this is your moment to shine, okay? You're going to have a long list. I'm not going to have them on the screen, but I'm going to reference these. First Peter 5, 7, Peter says that we can cast all our cares upon God because he cares for us. Not just some of them, all of them. Not just the small ones that we can maybe sort of handle, but I'm going to let God do that because I'm really busy this week. All of them. Not just the big ones that I can't handle. All of them. Not just at certain times. He doesn't have office hours. He doesn't go on vacation. He doesn't take siestas, right? He's there. He's always in control. He's all powerful. He's the creator of everything. So again, he's worth coming to in our prayer. 
I want to read these verses again in the English Standard Version uh, to look at a different idea of verse 15. So again, in, in the ESV, Paul says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I remember when I was a kid at our church, we had Sunday school, and the teacher, he had kids that were a little bit older than me, and he gave this, he gave this analogy here about kind of your father. He said, I all, and he had two, two sons, he said, I always tell my boys, don't forget your last name. Before they go out on a date, don't forget your last name. Before they go out with their friends, don't forget your last name, right? Why is that? Because they represent him. With what they do comes back on him. It's his name that he gave to them, you know, uh, by giving them life. And so he says, don't forget your last name. I think maybe that's a little bit of what we see here as we see it in the ESV. He, God's named every family, and we're a part of his family. So what's the second idea that we talked about last week that we're revisiting for a, a brief moment here? Is that, remember, we talked about that we are God's and Christ's ambassadors. We're his ministers. And so it seems like a tall task and it is, but we are his representatives, so our heart is, our cry is, again from last week, is may we represent him well. May our lives not be a perfect example, right, because that's not possible, but may it be a shining example of who God really is, who Christ is, through our lives. That's what our calling, that's what our job is. We are named by him. And it is a tall task, but here they get to the next verse, verse number 16, and we're not alone in this. It is a big deal, it is a tall task, but we're not alone because, verse 16, Paul continues, I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Now, I don't have to tell you that we need strength for every day, don't we? Like, if you're already thinking about tomorrow or this week, you're probably already starting to think, okay, that's a lot. Or, wow, I, I have a lot of unknowns in this coming week. Or I have a lot of questions about things that are going to bleed over into tomorrow. So we need strength for every day, even on good days, right? We get tired and worn out. Even younger people get tired and worn out. We need the strength that comes from the Holy Spirit. And then especially on our bad days, when that, when, like I talked about earlier, that life just knocks us for a loop, when it just, we're on our back or, or we're on our face, and we're like, I have no idea what to do here. I can't handle this. We absolutely need the strength of the Holy Spirit in those moments. Let's look at Psalm 88 for a second, and maybe you can relate to what the psalmist writes here when he needs God's strength. Psalm 88, starting at verse 1, says, O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out to you by day, I come to you at night. Now hear my prayer, listen to my cry. For my life is full of troubles, and death draws near. I am as good as dead, like a strong man with no strength left. Now skip down to verse 9, Psalm 88, verse 9. My eyes are blinded by my tears. Each day I beg for your help, O Lord. I lift my hands to you for mercy. Ever been there before? God, what is going on? What are you doing? Or why are you not doing something that I really need you to do? Are you even there? That's what Psalm 88 is all about. It's this anguish. It's this cry like, God, what is the deal? We need the spirit, the power of the spirit in those moments. And those are going to happen. It doesn't mean that you didn't have enough faith. And so this happened. It doesn't mean that you, you know, something that you, like even Jesus with a man born blind, the disciples say, what? Who sinned? Him or his parents? And Jesus said, well, that's not how this works, okay? It's so that God's power can be seen through him, and then he heals him. So don't believe maybe the lies of the enemy that, oh, this stuff is happening because you're a terrible sinner. Oh, God doesn't love you because he didn't keep protect you or, there he, or he failed you somehow. It's like, no, you're going to have those days. 
You're going to have those seasons in your life where things just don't make sense. the, The psalmist says, I'm as good as dead. I have no strength left. But again, Paul says in verse 16 that we have inner strength from the Holy Spirit. We have this inner strength, and we need that. And so my prayer for the church is that you would be empowered with inner strength by the Holy Spirit. Let's again look at the same verse for a second in the English Standard Version. So I preach a lot through the New Living Translation, the NLT, uh, but then the ESV just brings out so much uh, that kind of helps us see it in more of a 3D view here. So verse 16 from the ESV says, According to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being. So not just inner strength, but strength for your inner person. What does that mean? Well, your inner being is really who you really are. It's your heart and your soul. It's the foundation of who you are. It's your very identity. It's your mind, will, and emotions. The Holy Spirit strengthens who you really are on the inside. Even, even, like we said, troubles come to everybody. Even mature, strong, long-standing Christians sometimes have identity crises. Sometimes they question their purpose. Um, It could be any number of reasons. Sometimes you just feel completely useless Okay, God, I'm not serving a purpose here. Sometimes big transitions in your life make you question everything about your life outside, especially inside, what really matters, what is my purpose, what what is God's plan for me now moving forward because everything's changed. Paul says that the Holy Spirit strengthens, solidifies, reinforces our inner being, who we really are. So we can always know that in Christ we can find true purpose, true clarity, and true direction. The Holy Spirit strengthens who you really are. And part of that is, you've probably noticed, as we mentioned in Romans a couple weeks ago, when you become a Christian, everything changed in some way. The way that you view almost everything changes. And you don't really, can't figure out why or always how or what that means or what do I do with this now? But that's what the Holy Spirit does. He changes our worldview and our way of thinking. But then, not only does he change our way of thinking, which can throw us for a loop, but then he strengthens us to be able to live that out. That's the real purpose here. The the power of the Holy Spirit in our inner being gives us the strength to actually live that out. We see this same idea. Let's get down to the last two verses of the prayer and see uh, the same idea here a little bit uh, for just a second. So verses 20 and 21 at the end of Ephesians 3, Paul ends the prayer this way. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. This may sound, a lot of what I say on a regular basis is not revolutionary, okay? Uh, But this is really going to sound like elementary stuff, but I need to say it, okay? God can do so much more than you can do. God can do so much more than I can do. That's the whole point. God can help us accomplish anything he calls us to. More than we can even think, Paul says. So more than you think you're capable of, God will help you accomplish that thing. More than you began to ever imagine your your life could become in him, he accomplishes more than that. That's how strong and big God is. That's how powerful the Holy Spirit is. He can accomplish infinitely more than we can ask or think. So you might have a situation that you're saying, that's too big for me. Let me encourage you, it's not too big for God. Maybe you need to hear that. This thing that I'm facing is too hard for me. It's not too hard for God. We sang it this morning, there's nothing that our God can't do. 
It's not just a clever worship song to get the blood pumping and the hands clapping. It's a reality. We see it here in Ephesians 3. He can do infinitely more. How much is infinite? Never ending. There's no beginning or end to infinity. So God can do anything. There's no limit. So what you might even say, that's impossible for me. God would say there's nothing impossible for him. That's in fact what he says to Mary when she gets news, right, of a virgin teenager going to birth the Son of God. How's that going to happen? The angel says, because nothing is impossible with God. Nothing's too hard for him. Be encouraged today that whatever you're facing, God can handle. Really what it comes down to is God wants to blow your mind with what he can do. God wants to exceed your wildest expectation. If you're going to give God a rating, online, it's going to have to add a sixth star to that five-star rating. That's what God wants to do in your life. That's who he wants to be. But the key that we see here in both verse 20 and then back up in verse 16 is how. How is that possible? Show me from the text how that's possible. Here's what he says, verse 20, all glory to God who is able through his mighty power. It's not your power or my power. It's not your ability or my ability. It's not your wisdom or my wisdom. It's not your intellect or my intellect. It's not your strength or my strength. It's not your experience or my experience. It's his power working in you and through you. That's what verse 20 shows. That's how God can exceed our expectations because he's the one doing the work. He's the one making the effort. He's the one that has no limitations so we can trust him. And then back up to verse 16, the second way that this is possible Paul says, I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you. Glorious, unlimited resources. Now, these are like fancy theological words I'm going to throw at you, but this is what the Bible tells us time after time all throughout Scripture. God has unlimited knowledge. That's the omniscience of God. He has unlimited knowledge. He knows every fact that ever was and ever will be because it comes from him. God has unlimited time. It's what we call his omnipresence. He's not limited to just being here. You know how many millions of churches there are across the world? He's in all of them because he, he is everywhere all at once. He's not limited by time or space. And Paul says here he's not limited in his power. That's his omnipotence. There really is nothing that God cannot do. So here's another way to say that. With God, impossibilities become realities. With God, questions become facts. With God, problems become legendary stories of how God came through, how God did the impossible. He came through when all hope was lost. There were zeros on the clock, and yet somehow he made a way. So Paul's prayer for the church is that we would be filled with this inner strength in our inner being by the power of the Holy Spirit, and that's my prayer for the church, that you would have this sense of the power of the Holy Spirit working in your life and then through your life to then blow your mind, and exceed your expectations. That's my prayer for the church. Let's go down to verse 17 now and look at this next verse here for a minute. I love that. We're not going to spend a ton of time on this one, but I love this idea here in verse 17. Uh, Paul writes, Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. Christ wants to be at home in your heart. At home. There's another word that Jesus uses himself in John 15 to his disciples. He uses the word abide, or it's translated sometimes remain. Let's look at this. It's John 15, verses 4 and 5. Jesus gives us this promise way before Paul says it here. But here's what he says. 
Jesus says, abide in me or remain in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. The promise that Jesus makes in John 15 and the prayer that Paul prays in Ephesians 3 is that Jesus wants to abide with you to make his home with you. Some other ways to say that, he wants to stay. He wants to linger. He wants to hang out. He wants to spend time. He wants to make a significant investment in your life. Now, I don't know if you do the stock market game or not, like I do, you know. No, I don't. I don't do that. But you know, if you make a significant investment, it better be for the long term. Because what does it do over time? Does this, right? Now, if you look, but if you spread it out over time, what is it doing? That. Now, I'm not saying it's always going to do that. I'm not, don't take financial advice from me. That is definitely not one of my spiritual gifts at all. But you know, if you're making an investment, it's got to be for the long term. It can't be like this quick, oh, this thing's going to, you know, it's going to burst through the ceiling. You invest your money and then it crashes and you're on the street, right? You have to do it for the long term. That's what Jesus wants with your life, a significant investment over time. It matures over time. Jesus is not a fair-weather friend, but he is that friend. Scripture talks about a six closer than a brother. Jesus is not a fly-by-night friend, but he does want to be your spiritual wingman. Okay? Jesus does not want a distant relationship. He wants an intimate, personal, detailed, close relationship. Jesus does not want to be on again, off again, but he wants to be consistent and committed in his relationship with you, and he is. How many of you could use a friend like that? I think we all could. That's who Jesus wants to be. So that's my prayer, is that we would lay the welcome mat out of our hearts to say, Jesus, come on in. Take up residence. Really be in control. Like, he's not just, he's not just the tenant. He's also now the owner of my heart. So he owns it, he runs it, he's going to clean it, he's going to make it spick and span, get it ready for the Airbnb or whatever, you know. Like he's going to do those things in my heart that I need done to make me more like him. He wants to be at home. So may we make Jesus at home in our hearts. Let's get down to verse 18. The next verse, we're going to look at what I call the 4D love of Christ. Ephesians 3.18, Paul says, And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide how long, how high, and how deep his love is. This is the 4D love of Christ. I'm going to take them out of order a little bit here, but we're going to cover just for a second how high, how wide, how deep, and how long Christ's love really is. Okay? So how high is Christ's love? Well, if you look at Philippians chapter 2, which that's coming up um, next week, and I'm really struggling with not preaching on Philippians 2 because I've done it a few times. I'm like, you've heard all this before. But the whole idea of Philippians 2 is that we know Christ started up in heaven, right? Like he is God. He is eternal. That's his starting place. And he chose with the Father's plan to come from the glory of heaven where he's worshiped by angels to come down to earth. That's how high the love of Christ is. It can reach all the way up to heaven to bring Christ down to earth. He did that for you and for me. How wide is the love of Christ? It's probably the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3, 16. For God so loved the... I thought it was the United States, my bad. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that 
whosoever would believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. Whosoever, that kind of includes everybody, I think, doesn't it? That's how wide the love of Christ is. That's how wide it is. And we see a picture of this in John's vision of heaven in Revelation. Let's look at this one verse. Revelation 7, verse 9. Paul's vision of heaven, his revelation, I'm sorry, John, John's revelation of heaven here in Revelation 7, verse 9. After this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language. Standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb, they were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands. So here on earth, we're divided in a lot of different ways. And even, you know, governments and companies try to use tactics to get us less divided. So we have affirmative action, right? We have quotas at some of our jobs to try to even out the playing field and bring unity here. We have to force that on this earth. We, in our sinful, fallen state, we have to force that unity on this planet. But heaven is automatically diverse. There's no equity, diversion, inclusive, you know, thing in heaven. It's like if the pearly gates are going to check and see what race you are, what nationality you are, you know, how old you are, where you went to school, did you go to, like, there's none of that. It's like, is your name in the book? Yes, welcome. And it's everyone, every nation, every tribe from all periods and time, times in the world, all of that. And Christianity, even now, I don't know if you're aware of this, it's really the only religion in the world that is pretty evenly dispersed across the planet. Like, I made a joke about it's not being about, you know, the United States, because all of North America is less than 20% of worldwide Christianity. There's about 20% here, about 20% in Europe, about 20% in Asia, where a lot of those countries, it's not even legal. Church is growing there. In Africa, one of the most explosive places the church has grown in the last 30 years, about 20% of Christianity is there, and the other 20% is dispersed throughout the rest of the world. There is no other religion that comes even close to those statistics. Not even close. Every other religion, every other movement, every other cult, whatever, it wants, whatever you want to call any of those other movements or groups, are centralized in one country, region, maybe continent, and then just barely scattered throughout. But the church of Jesus is not that way. And heaven is not going to be that way. Every tribe, every tongue, every language, every people is there. That's how wide the love of Jesus is. It reaches everyone. There's no barrier to his love. How deep is the love of Jesus? Let me reference a couple of scriptures here quickly. Ephesians chapter 2, just the previous chapter, verse 1, Paul says that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. That's where we were. That's who we were. So Christ reached down into our spiritual death to bring us life. Romans 5, verse 10, Paul says that we were enemies of God when Christ died for us. If you look at really that section, verses 7 through 10, it even says, you know, most people aren't going to give up their life for a really good person. But Christ, he gave up his life for his enemies, for sinners. That's how deep Christ's love is. It goes so deep that it found us at our lowest and our worst and pulled us out of that. He saw us at our worst possible moment and loved us anyway to save us from ourself. That's how deep the love of Christ is. Let's look at this last one. How long is the love of Christ? reference a couple scriptures again here. Psalm 136, you see this kind of repeated. It's sort of a congregational response type of psalm. It starts out, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. How, how long is that? Forever. You know, as you answer the question with the question that you asked. Lamentations 3.22, uh, Jeremiah writing here says, the faithful love of the Lord never ends. 
That's how long the love of Christ is. It never ends. There's not a supply that he's running out. He's got to recharge the, the love part of who he is. No, that's who he is, in fact. John says, God is love. We know that Christ loved the world and he loves us. That's how long his love is, to go to the ends of the earth. A love that never quits, a love that never fails. And so as Paul's prayer is, my prayer for the church is that you would know this 4D love of Christ. You would know how high, how wide, how deep, and how long Christ's love is for you. Not just for your neighbor who's a good person. Not just for the other really, you know, Christian that I know they're really, no, for you. That's how high, wide, deep, and long his love is for you. Uh, let's go to the, the, I think it's, the, I hope it's the last verse. Yeah, it's the last verse. Okay. The last verse, verse 19 goes one step further even than that. And here's what Paul says, Ephesians 3:19. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully, then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Paul's prayer is that we would be made complete, lacking nothing. Wouldn't that be amazing? I'm complete lacking nothing. Now, again, he's talking about the spiritual man. He's not saying, you know, health and wealth and all that stuff. He's not getting into that. He's talking about this inner experience that you would be complete. And then he says, with the fullness of life and power. Again, reference a couple scriptures here, not on the screen, but reference them for you. In John 10, verse 10, Jesus says that I've come to give life and life more abundantly. That's what Paul's saying here in Ephesians 3, to have this fullness of life. And it, Paul writes himself in Romans 6, verse 10, that the same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead lives in you. So the fullness of life and the fullness of power in our inner man. And then I don't have the, but the, the English, again, the ESV uh, phrases this idea, the fullness of life and power. He says, filled with the fullness of God. Filled with the fullness of God. I've got an, I, I want to show you what that's going to look like here. So you know how, you know, at Thanksgiving, yep. you get really full. I'm going to have to sit down to do this, probably. I tried to practice this, and it didn't go well. So you know how, there's my office socks. So you know how when you eat and eat and eat and eat, watch this. I'm getting too old for this. Oh, my goodness, guys. Watch this. I'm just going to sit down, and my back is going to go out trying to bend over and put pants on pants on pants. So you know how when you eat and eat and eat, and then eventually you just get so full. So your strategy, maybe you've not done this, but you should, wear sweatpants, right? Wear sweatpants. To Thanksgiving. Look at how much room I have here to expand. I can eat all weekend. Yeah, do your Good, good Friday. It's, black, it's Good Friday for some people. Do your Black Friday shopping. I'm going to take our leftovers because I still got my sweatpants on that I wore yesterday that I thought were getting tight. But oh no, see, there's, see the string? It expands, right? This is what Paul wants us to do. He said, put on your spiritual sweatpants with an extra givey waistband. So you can receive all the fullness and power of God, filled with the fullness of God. That's what Paul wants us to know. Put on your spiritual sweatpants so you can have room to expand for all that God has for you. That's what he wants. But then we have the same question, how? How, how do I become complete with the fullness and the power, the fullness of life and power in Christ? And it's that key word at the very beginning of this verse. Experience the love of Christ. See, in verse 18, he says, I want you to know the love of Christ. But verse 19, he says, may you experience the love of Christ. Those are different things. To know something, I know what the Grand Canyon looks like. I've never experienced that. 
there's a difference. If you've been there, you know there's a difference to those two things. Paul says, feel it, sense it, live it. Now, this is not just a hyper-spiritual, emotional experience. That's not what I'm saying. We need to seek those things for that reason. But it is really an elevated spiritual reality that God wants us to experience. It is a new realm in our relationship with Christ that Paul wants us to experience, not just to know, but to experience that, to be overcome by his presence and his power, to have a deep sense of awe and wonder, to have a sense of what the leading of the Holy Spirit really looks like, and then confirmation that comes with that, and then to acquire an ability to hear God's voice and then respond. You can experience the love of Christ, not just know it, but experience that. Paul prays that we would, and I pray that we would. This is an experience like no other. It's the experience of a lifetime. It's the adventure of a lifetime. If you're on that, you know that to be the case. If you're not, you can know that to be the case. It's an experience like no other that we cannot just know about, but to live out. So that's Paul's prayer for the church, and it's my prayer for the church. So what I want to do is I want to reread this again as we close one more time. Now that we've talked about it, fleshed it out, explained it a little bit, I want to read this again as our, kind of our, our prayer, and then we will close this morning. This is, again, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 through 21. Paul says, When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to fully understand. Then you will be able to then you'll be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God, who is able, through his mighty power at work within us, to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. God, as this is Paul's prayer for the church, and it's my prayer for this church and and the church, I pray that this would be experienced and lived out. To understand that you're our Father, you're our power source, you are unlimited in what you can and will do. You can accomplish the impossible even through us, even through us. So my prayer is that we would put out the welcome mat for Jesus and let him just stay there not shoo him away when he gets too into our business, not that it gets too personal and we get uncomfortable, that we'd, okay, Jesus, just stick around. He wants to abide. Let us be in response to that and let him have his way. And may we know how high, how wide, how deep, and how long his love is for us, that it would go to any length and did go to any length, that it would go to any height and did go to any height and depth, and his arms are wide enough to save and reach anyone. May, may we know this, But then may we also experience the love of Christ. Experience this relationship with Christ. So I'm so thankful today um, that you are here, that you've been here speaking and encouraging us today. And I pray that we would leave encouraged to walk and live that kind of life. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.